Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven Fulham podcast. We are now streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Come join me and my dad and my brother and the wonderful community that we have built. Discuss the team that we love and all the wonderful things that are a part of it. We appreciate you all endlessly for following us on this fantastic journey that we are so blessed to be a part of. But let's not waste any more time. Jack, you play that intro and come on. You are from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. It's night to discuss the retoy, retoy, return of Roy Hodgson to the cottage. Roy Hodgson returning for the first time as Crystal Palace manager. It's a chance for Fulham to beat Roy Hodgson's points record that he set back in the 2007-2008 season. And here to discuss it all, I have Elton. How are we going? Yeah, very good, thanks. Uh, it's a late one, but um happy to be here. Yeah, falling over my words a little bit because it's just past midnight, the midnight edition of a uh, that's a Craven podcast tonight. So uh, we're in for a treat, I'm sure. So look, Dad, like I said, return of Roy Hodgson, Crystal Palace looked in a bit of trouble not that long ago, but Roy's come in. It was a contentious decision in the first place to actually rehire him as manager after um, Vieira was sacked. But he's done a really good job. Yeah, kind of remarkable, really. Obviously, his wife got sick of him being around the house. He seemed very keen to be back to it, which is amazing, really. I mean, he's had a long career, but you think, you think, you think he'd had enough. But um, remarkably, he's he's done the job, hasn't he? Yeah, um, and he, he's really done a good job. You know, this was a. Crystal Palace team, and they, they do have a lot of quality, but they just weren't picking up results. I remember playing them um, earlier in the season, and, you know, they, they struggled big time. We we dominated them. We looked really good against them. And, and like I said, there's some seriously good players in that team, but um, it just wasn't clicking for them. And maybe they needed someone like Roy to come in to actually fix it all up for us. Um, sorry, not for us, for Crystal Palace. Slip of the mind there. Well, it's mm. it's very interesting. Um, you know, obviously, it, it just goes to show, you know, Sam and I were talking earlier today uh, on his way home from work, and we were, we were talking about managers, and it's an interesting one with Vieira, obviously, incredible track record and, you know, record as a player, but it just doesn't mm. always convert, does it? And, um, you know, he, he uh, allegedly, uh, one of the big problems with Fierro was his approach and allegedly too soft, too gentle, too mm. kind, too much of a modern man, which is ironic given what a hard man and uh, kind of defender he was. The, the style um, of player he was, yeah. And, and maybe, look, bringing in someone like Roy who's, you know, uh, um, he's just been around the traps a lot. I mean, it's the experience, and it's the experience having gone through, you know, a great escape with Fulham and the work he's done with the slightly smaller teams. I mean, he hasn't had the success when he's taken on the equal job, the Liverpool job as well. Like, it, it didn't really work out for him quite how he would have hoped. Um, but when he takes charge of those smaller teams and it's about building a bit of a culture, a bit of a feeling of, positivity around the group he seems to do a great, great job and you know we know that it's sometimes really tough for a manager to come in to a club where you know times are tough there's a little bit of a new manager bounce but you don't see that sustained for very long and Hodgson seems to have been able to, to sustain it at Palace so far um so I mean hats off you know he's he's a legend of, of Fulham and you know we saw him earlier in the season when um he came down and you know asked if he could please come to to Craven Cottage and be included and 
receivers forever Fulham and you know he he loves Fulham Football Club as well he's got some great memories there and we have great memories of having him around as well so it's gonna be really nice seeing him come back to the cottage just from a, a as a Fulham fan not even thinking about the result here but um he, he's someone who we all look look on very fondly and you know because of his points total he he definitely has to be considered as Fulham's greatest ever manager so far for taking us to a European final and for, for taking us to our highest finishes in the league. And Marco Silva is probably not that far behind if you put it into perspective. And if you, if you measure it purely on, on, you know, your highest possible finish in the Premier League and the most points attained as well, Marco's got to be right up there. I, I think in, uh, I'm not sure how the records can compare, but in terms of what he's done for this Fulham side in a fairly short period of time, it's pretty remarkable. And if he hasn't already got a pretty golden legacy, he's well on the way to building it, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, let's let's talk about the game itself. Uh, we've got the game against Crystal Palace happening Saturday, 10 p.m. kickoff here in WA, midnight in the Eastern States, a 3 p.m. kickoff in the UK, and over in the States, it's a 7 a.m. Pacific time kickoff and a 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoff. Now, um, one really great part about doing this podcast live and also late at night is we've just had a bit of breaking news come through that I think will need to discuss a little bit later on in the podcast, but uh, Ivan Tony has officially just received his ban from the FA. Uh, Ivan Tony has been banned for eight months, which using my calculation here, bans him through to about the middle of January next season. So guessing, I mean, by December, you've usually played about 18 games by January with no winter break this time around. We're probably looking at Tony missing about 20 two games, maybe even 25 games of Brentford season. So that's a really big blow for Brentford. And I'm just glad he's finally got his uh, got his actual suspension that's been hanging over him since November. Yeah, I, I don't know how, how I feel about it. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, uh, am, I, am I happy that he got a suspension? Yeah, of course I am. Um, it seems like a bonkers sort of piece of shenanigans to for him to be involved in. Um, I, I I don't even know. I, I have no idea. I have no idea how to feel about how long um, that kind of suspension should be. Don't even know what the yardstick or the precedent is. There must be some mm. precedent they're well, working on. Yeah, uh, let's let's continue on and talk about the Palace game, and we'll come back to Tony. Sure after we've done a bit of a yeah. preview of this one. so Because um, that, that's big news. It's literally just broken as we were speaking. And thanks to Steve Reynolds on our live stream who brought that to my attention. I've just had a quick look at the BBC website and there's a, a bit more detail, but it is trickling through at the moment. So it'll be good to, to discuss that a little bit. Um, looking at the last five games for both teams, Fulham, obviously with that 2-0 winning at Southampton and the 5-3 against Leicester with a couple of wins and then the three losses before that. But we know about those and uh, tough opponents in Liverpool, Man City and Aston Villa, but really good performances nonetheless. Palace, uh, it's a lot more of a roller coaster look to a season, which, uh, you know, you expect from teams in the in the lower half of the league. Uh, recently, a 2-0 win against Bournemouth away from home, a 1-0 loss to Tottenham, a 4-3 win against West Ham, a 2-0 loss to Wolves and a 0-0 with Everton. And I believe in that Everton game, Everton also had a man sent off. So um, kind of hard to predict this one, Dad. I don't know about you, but this Palace team, it seems like they're either hot or cold. When they're hot, they can score wonder goals and, and really break a team down and look pretty solid in defence. But when they're cold, they really just look like they're kind of like Southampton did last week on the beach. Tricky one. You'd think Roy Hodgson was brought in to organise things and actually, I mean, he's a fairly defensive style of manager. But what's interesting is they have actually started scoring some pretty silky goals from time to time. doesn't seem to be consistent, but they are 
they are able to score a few goals. I mean, they've got a couple of pretty exciting um, players on the wing. Uh, I, I, I know Zaha <clears throat> is unavailable, and that's uh, obviously significant for them. But it's it's by no means uh, he's he's by no means the only threat. Um, I I don't know what to expect, but if sure they're safe, but th- I think they're potentially quite dangerous. I really do. Mm. And um, the, the only th- sorry, yeah, keep going. No, 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 go ahead. The the only thing I'd possibly think about here is. They beat West Ham 4-3 a couple of games ago. That game effectively took them up to 40 points. That gave them safety. They played Tottenham. Um, they lost 1-0. A fairly good result for Tottenham. Tottenham probably should have put more past them as well. And then they played against Bournemouth, who were also on 39 points. And going into that game, Bournemouth were effectively safe, looking at the table and how everything stands. I feel like... Um, that game was two teams who, who basically have nothing to play for. Bournemouth, uh, you know, it's it's positions, and I believe the lower down the league you get, the less um, financial incentive there is to finish higher up, if that makes sense. I think rather than going up in two million bursts, it goes up in like half a million bursts or, or something like that based on your position that you actually finish in the league. So it, it's quite possible as well that we see Palace maybe take the foot off the gas a bit because... All there is left for them at the moment is to basically overtake Chelsea. I don't think they can, they can't overtake Fulham, so they can't jump up into 10th. Chelsea have a game in hand on them, so they could possibly overtake them, but they're also a game ahead uh, in terms of points of Wolves and Bournemouth. So this game, it it feels a little bit, I, I don't know the right word for it, but a bit meh dead rubber. to me. It's, it, it, yeah, dead rubber is exactly what I'm looking for. It, it just feels like, there's nothing on the line for Palace. They're in that weird little spot where you can understand when a team is a little bit on the beach. Um, they come up against Forest on the last day of the season. They'll probably be expecting uh, a pretty tough game against Forest, who are still fighting against relegation. But it's quite possible that next week, um, if Forest get a win this weekend, for example, that mathematically, I believe, makes them safe depending on other results, I'm, but I'm pretty sure Forrest will probably be safe by the end of the weekend. Uh, and so they'd be looking at going into these last two games with kind of nothing to lose. It's the point in the season when, and and someone like Roy Hodgson may be more inclined to do this when you start bringing in some youth players and give them some experience because, um, you know, their, their job was to avoid relegation. It's a very different story to, to Fulham who are looking at pushing towards a target and constantly going to be pushing towards it, which is why you don't see that rotation. But Palace just need to, to avoid relegation. They've done that now. So maybe they do take their foot off the gas a little bit because they've reached their target for the season and there's kind of nowhere to go after this. Mm, it's very difficult to tell. I think the, what I was going to say uh, is I think Marcus Silva's set the record straight and definitely put his marker out there that this team's going to push on till the end of the season. I think that's pretty clear. If there was any concern or any suggestion that we were on the beach, I think that's that's been put to bed. And I think you, you're going to see this team. This let's let's not forget this is a warm up to a very big game next week. Um, and I and I think it's you know Metro possibly starting. Uh, if not, a, a definitely a very full run out for Metro to get all the cobwebs burnt off and all that rust shaken down. I, I mm. don't know. Um, it's hard to tell with with you know you got Roy Hodgson. <laughs> These guys, they're professionals. He's he's potentially being talked about as um, getting a, a, a renewed contract for next season. There's mm. something to play for. You know, he's not. I don't think he's been around long enough to to not let his season fizzle out. I just don't think he's going to do that. The players mm. may be thinking there's nothing to play for, but and I, and I and I know Roy Hodgson isn't a long term prospect for them. But if if he's looking at being part of 
next season. I I think there's plenty for him to play for, and I think he'd be pretty disappointed if they weren't up for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let's have a quick look at the table because um, it's interesting reading as well. And there was a couple of tweets this week from Cottage Analytica, who we shout out fairly often, and um, he's actually broken it down as to how Fulham could potentially still finish in a European spot. Uh, now, it's obviously um, kind of unlikely, but uh, there's only about four or five results that need to go away for us to actually climb up the table. We know that Brentford have a rough run in for the rest of the season. They're also now without their main striker, although he didn't play last week either, um, and they did still get a victory. Uh, Villa have a rough run in. Spurs also don't have the easiest run in. So there is the possibility that Fulham do climb up to seventh from here, but it does require a few big wins for Fulham. You know, we'd probably need to win by a couple of goals against Palace and then beat Man United at least 1-0, maybe more. Um, it's it's a slim possibility, but it is definitely there. Fulham sitting in 10th on 51 points. And obviously the big target for us is to beat that record and get, to, uh, get a win to get us to 54 points, which would just be, Dad, such a great achievement this season and it really put the cherry on top if we could walk away from what has been a, a, a fun season but in some ways a really tough season as well for Fulham um, and walk away with a points record and, and really stamp it into the history books as one to remember. Well as they say you, you, you can only be in control of what you can be in control of right so you can only worry about what you can be in control of and if if we get a couple of wins from here we beat palace we put up a really good show and and hopefully beat man united away that would be a great end to the season where it leaves us on points and table positions and 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 real movement in the table from here is clearly up to you know the universe because it really will be down to other results we can we can but uh, pick up a couple of wins, and I, and I think that it's not out of out of the question by any means, not at all. You know, obviously we, we know Pereira um, <clears throat> and no Tim Ream. We, we we seem to be coping reasonably be reasonably well without Tim Ream. Mm. Um, Kenny has done a fantastic job in in the absence of Pereira. Um, how that how that works against Man United. I know we're jumping a bit far ahead here, but um, I've got I've got no concerns about uh, the maestro pulling the strings again against Palace, and and I think it's you know I, I'm perfectly happy about that. But in terms of seeing the season out on a real high and a bang, I think we're pretty well placed, Jack, and you know we have to hope that that uh, a few teams falter and we get. Uh, get the luck Yeah look uh, I'd be more than happy even if we just picked up one spot But at the end of the day it's about the points For me if Brentford somehow win Their remaining games and um, We finish behind Brentford But we've broken a points record You know it's It doesn't matter that much at the end of the day It's It's all about Just putting your stamp on the season And saying this was our best ever season In the Premier League and we can just build on that. And it's something that you can take into next season and into the transfer market. And, you know, it, it really sets a marker. And it sets a marker for Marco next season as well to say, look, guys, we got a points record that last season. We had our best players banned for eight games. We had some pretty rough injuries throughout the whole season. We can go better. We can, we can keep progressing and keep moving forward. And Europe maybe is actually very realistic at that point because... I think seventh spot is going to take Europe this season. And there's a high possibility that we finish three points off Europe, which, I mean, going into the season, we, we've we said this so many times, you'd never have believed it if someone had said Fulham are going to be comfortably top half, potentially even chasing Europe for most of the season. I think I saw a tweet saying the lowest we were all season was 12th. And that was in um, the second week of the season, I think. We, we've basically sat as a top half side for the entire year, which is just crazy. And, you know, I, I saw 
something pop up the other day with um, one of those stupid Sky Sports things where it said press pause and see who the top four is going to be. And the fact that the Fulham badge was included because we were genuinely in the chase for top four for quite a long time. It's it's just such a good feeling, especially off the back of all of the pundits and all of the media saying Fulham are destined to go down and favourites for relegation alongside Bournemouth, alongside the other teams as well who they thought were struggling. They've just been completely proved wrong by Marco and, and the rest of the team. Yeah, and God, it does make you think, doesn't it? Um, you know, if we finish, if we did happen to finish three points off off Europe, the number of games Metro's missed, what could have been? Um, but, you know, nevertheless, uh, just remind me, um, who who were Brentford's last uh, couple of fixtures against? I will have a very quick look now. Um, from memory, they played Man City in the last game. And... Sorry, just pulling it up. The joy of life. Uh, they play Spurs this weekend, and then they finish off against Man City. Well, without Tony, they're, they're pretty tough fixtures for them, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, look, Villa play Liverpool and then finish the season against Brighton. Also tough fixtures. Um, Spurs play Brentford, so someone's going to pick up points there and then they finish their season against Leeds. So you'd expect Spurs will pick up at least three points and move to 60, and Brighton will also pick up points as well. But, you know, highly possible that Villa pick up no points and Brentford pick up no points. So um, two two wins for us, and, and we are very likely to actually push into eighth spot. Uh, obviously, that last game against Man United is going to be a tough one, but look, with with the history there this season and... Mitro back in the starting lineup, and you know a really good travelling contingent of Fulham fans as well, making a lot of noise at Old Trafford. There's a high possibility that something could happen. You you really never know this season. Um, and yeah, I'm you looking know, forward to it. it. It's something that's been said quite a few times is the fact that Fulham have struggled to get any results against the well. When I say any results, um, picks up three points against any of the big sides in the league this season, apart from Chelsea. Um, it would be a really great way to sign off the season to actually beat Man United and finally get points against the teams in the top four this year, top five even. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's definitely something to look forward to, but obviously a bit of a challenge against Palace first. Let's have a quick look at a couple of potential lineups. So uh, I'll run through this one quickly. Uh, it's pretty unchanged apart from one, which is having Mitro return to the starting lineup ahead of Vinicius. Um, I think... Mitro is likely to play in the United game, and I don't think having him go into the game against United with zero, um, having not had a full game against Palace first, sorry, it, it would seem like you just add get that added bit of sharpness by starting in a match rather than coming off the bench. Um, you get to ease into yeah. the game properly. You get to pick up the flow of the game, pick up the pace of the game a little bit better when you start. And you, you're likely to also get 60, 70 minutes out of it as well. I think if Mitro comes off the bench again and him starting against Man United becomes less and less likely. Um, uh, I so totally, I expect Mitro... I, I, I agree. I expect Mitro will start and, and probably play 60 minutes uh, depending on the how the game's um, laid out. I think maybe if we're... One nil down, Mitro plays a full game and we see Vinicius come on as a second striker to try and make something happen. But I, I would expect Mitro to start. I think across the board will be the same, though. Uh, Willian and Wilson on the wings, Kearney sitting behind them, Polina and Reed in the middle, Robinson on the left, Tete on the right, Diop and Tosin in the centre, and Leno in goal. Uh, do you see any changes there? I know we've had you know, players coming up through fitness like Cabano and Solomon who might be able to push for a start. But do you think with that target of 54 points, Marco is going to take those kind of risks? I, I do not. Um, I think that's it. The only, the only question really is whether Vinicius or, or Mitro starts for me. And I, I agree with everything you've said. I think if, he, if he's only got 65 minutes in the tank, let's find out now. And and let's 
actually, for all the reasons, start him and get him, get him back into, um, <clears throat> you know, leading leading the team uh, in in attack for <clears throat> from the outset and really get getting some goals on the ball. Wouldn't it be great if Mitro um, can pick score possibly two? Get himself to the 70th minute mark and then, uh, you know, get rested. Vinicius comes on for 20 minutes at the end. Two as well. Perfect. Well, <laughs> just, you know, um, it, it, would be, it would be a good way um, to have brought him back into, into things, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. In a comment here on a live stream from Black, White and Fred, could see the difference having Mitchell on the pitch makes against the Saints. He should start. And I, mm. I agree. I think um, in recent weeks we've definitely been backing Vinny to start and we really did back him in to start against Southampton and, and that worked. But I think um, Mitchell just needed to ease his way back into it and I think the best way for him to do that was to score a goal and that's exactly what he did. I, I heard a comment um from I think a quote from Tom Candy who said Mitro came on the pitch and as soon as he came on the pitch he was shouting to everyone saying get me a goal he's like I just yeah, want give me I the ball score. give me get the me ball I think it was I um, think it was Harrison Reed it was Harrison Reed I think who made could that have been comment. yeah uh, but uh, that's that's the kind of mode he's in at the moment but again if you're not fully match fit and fully sharp uh, it's it's just it's just not going to work. And I think easing him into it against Southampton was perfect and a perfect opportunity as well against a team who were obviously really struggling. Um, and so giving him then half an hour against Southampton, perfect. 60 minutes against Palace, perfect. 90 minutes against Man United. I think that's going to be the way to go. Um, yeah. A quick look at the Palace team. Uh, the one main piece of news, as we spoke about, Wilfred Zaha missing on the left wing there, likely to be replaced by uh, Edward, who came on as a sub for him. Um, one of their best players, uh, Eze, in the middle. We obviously know him from his time at QPR. We came up against him in the championship a few times, and he scored a couple of absolute belters, and he scored a couple of goals last weekend as well against Bournemouth. So he's going to be someone who really needs to be watched as as the danger man. Um, and I, I think because he sits a little bit deeper, it's not a striker who's the danger man. We should see Polina and Reed hopefully deal with him and cut him out of the game, but he will look to find the space between the defenders and the midfielders. So uh, I expect he's going to be the the main linchpin for this team. Uh, a couple of other good players, Olise, I, I believe, set the record recently for the most assists yeah. in a season for Crystal Palace. Um, it, yeah, <coughs> Jordan Ayew up front, he is, good. yeah, he scored a couple of great goals as well from free kicks. I think. Um, Jordan Ayew up front is seems timeless. I feel like he's been around forever. Um, come into the team and and done a really good job. Uh, Tariq Mitchell at left back is a um, a really good young left back. He'll I, I'd say he'll play for England at some point in the future, but um, he he looks promising. And we do know um, Joachim Anderson as well playing at centre back. Uh, probably lucky not to be sent off last week. He possibly accidentally, maybe on purpose, punched Jefferson Lerma from Bournemouth in the nose and broke his nose. Um, slightly off the ball. Uh, it's very lucky to probably be playing this game, but um, maybe they realised he was playing his old club in the next game, so they gave him um, the benefit of the doubt, but probably not. Um, Dad, obviously the main worry there, Eze, but you've, you've watched a few of the uh, recent highlights from Palace. How, how do you feel like they play... Oh, I, I tell you what, they looked, um, they scored a couple of very good goals last weekend. And in the last, yeah, I actually took the trouble to look at the highlights of the last two or three games of theirs. And they, they, they do look quite dangerous on the, on the break, actually. And um, Essay is in really good form. I think he's one of those guys that Hodgson is, completely rejuvenated um, because I don't think he was playing that well under <clears throat> Vieira. And, um, yeah, look, uh, Elise Eze and, and of course, um, uh, what's his face? 
um, uh, Zaha. Mm. They've been doing. He's he's been doing really well. So that's unfortunate for them, and <clears throat> good for us that he's unavailable. Um, but yeah, look, they, they they've got they've got that's good quality. I mean, they they've got goal scoring capability for sure. But yeah. Um, but our our defence has been good, been really well organised. I I do I do miss Reem. I have to say I do miss Tim Reem. I mean, I um, Issa Diop is no slouch, but it, there's just that stability and organisation and calm on, uh, on the ball, and there's a sense of order with Tim Reem, and I, mm. I I do I do feel that's kind of been missing we we haven't really been wildly tested but mm, um I, I do miss him yeah absolutely um but like you said i don't think we've been hugely tested this season so um it, it'd be interesting well, man, to i mean see obviously how... man united's going to be man united's going to be a big test <clears throat> yeah it'll be interesting though as a, as a bit of a lead up to that to see how they deal with yeah what is um, a pretty good attacking line um, who will just cause us a few troubles. Let's move on, though, to that little bit of breaking news, and I'll just read through the statement from the FA. This is regarding Ivan Tony's uh, ban from all football and football-related activities. So the statement reads, Ivan Tony has been suspended from all football and football-related activity with immediate effect for eight months which runs up to and including the 16th of January, 2024. He's been fined £50,000 and warned as to his future conduct for breaches of the FA's betting rules. The Brentford Ford was charged with 262 breaches of the FA rule E8 in total between 25th February, 2017 and 23rd of January, 2021. The FA subsequently withdrew 30 of these breaches and he admitted to the remaining 232. His sanctions were subsequently imposed by an independent regulatory commission following a personal hearing. He's permitted to return to training only with his club for the final four months of his suspension, starting from the 17th of September 2023. The independent regulatory commission's written reasons for these sanctions will be published in due course, and the FA will wait to review them before commenting further. So there is also the possibility that the FA, similar to what they did with Mitro, could put forward a case for this suspension to be extended. Uh, we did see that that appeal didn't go anywhere anyway, so it's likely that that won't have any effect on it. But look, the, the main thing here is Tony's banned through till the middle of January. Like I said previously, that usually means you're banned through till about the 20th, maybe the 21st game of the season. Um, Dad, just your initial thoughts on how you think that's actually going to affect Brentford. Uh, I'm just bloody annoyed at the whole thing, to be honest. I just think it stinks. I think the the FA have dragged their heels on it. I'm sure their their lawyers can give you good, long, solid arguments as to why they're on solid ground in doing so, and why they've treated him fairly. But it just feels like they've tried to keep the door open um, to 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 somehow manage and mitigate the whole thing. And, and and keep him as an option for uh, an England selection down the line. And I, I just think, you know, really? Um, is that the kind of guy you actually want representing your country? Really? Um, and, and, you know, we, when, when we talk about mistakes and people making errors, they're usually one mistake like mitro mm. boiled over and he pushed the ref okay arguably in the same kind of connected to the same incident he then points his finger and you know does a number of other aggressive things towards the ref but it was all kind of encapsulated and ring fenced around that incident he didn't do it 220 times um and <laughs> I, I just think it just blows my mind that um, they're even sort of skirting around the issue rather than throwing the book at him and throwing him up against the wall at the same time. Um, mm. it, it, and, and, you know, it, 
I, I don't know. Yeah, as I said, I'm kind of speechless, really. I just don't understand it. What, yeah, what do you have to um, do? What do you, you know, if, if uh, you know, you've, you've, you've seen wild cricketers take a cricket bat to people and start punching people and big brawls, they get banned for life. Um, mm. well, and I know this is an extreme violent conduct, but it's so dodgy. It's so dodgy. And, um, you know, I think, I think it stinks that the, the club hasn't sidelined him while he'd clearly admitted guilt to some of these things. So it wasn't a question of his innocence. And the whole thing's just dragged on for so long. I think it makes Brentford look bad. Um, he's a joke and the FA look terrible, quite honestly. Yeah, well, a, a few comments coming in as well on our live stream just about how the FA have handled this so poorly, and they really have. When you look at how quickly they were able to pass down judgment on, on Mitro and other things this season as well, the fact that Tony admitted to all of these things um, back in November, or it first came to light back in November, and then there's been more that's come out since then as well. Back in March, a few things came out. Tony admitted to it all in March as well when you thought, that would probably um, instigate some sort of action. Um, but it's it's just dragged on and on and on. And now the the disappointing thing, I guess, in my mind is the fact that he's going to be banned for eight months, but there's at least two months of the season where there's no football anyway. Um, so it, it so mitigates the ban cynical. completely and makes the ban effectively a six-month ban, which is kind of it's kind of useless. Um and, and look, I, I had a quick look just now, and um, it's tough to find actually a, a season that hasn't been affected by COVID or a World Cup recently, but um, I went back to the eighteen nineteen season, and the 17th of January would actually see him miss the first 22 games of the season. So he'd only be available for 16 games. Um, <clears throat> who knows, the fixtures might make that very tough for for um for Brentford could potentially see you know them have to play the two the bottom teams for the second time in those couple of games as well that that we have the double up so it, it could be it could have a massive effect on Brentford next season I think it's really gonna gonna be an issue for them um and, and like a few people are saying on the live stream here as well if they had gone with a number of games banned for I think people might have been um, more accepting of that. For example, if they'd said uh, Tony's going to be banned for 25 games, I think we probably all would have gone, okay, that's that's quite a lot of games. That That's maybe more acceptable. The fact that they've gone, he's banned for eight months, but two of those months are in the off-season. Um, we're making the decision as well with two games to go in the season. So you can't play the last it just two games, reeks. but you, you guys are safe anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, it absolutely reeks. It just reeks of, of, of careful management. And, and smart ass management by the FA. I don't even know if it's smart ass management. It's just um, it's just mismanagement. And I don't know if it's because um, he's you know on the edge of the England team. Maybe he gets treated slightly differently, or or why it is. But they they've managed feels this like, really it, it feels and, like that. It it does feel it, like it that. does feel like that. Um, at the end of the day, I'm just happy that the appropriate ban has been handed down. I look I actually think eight months is probably about right. Um you mean it's an six extremely months? well six months. Yeah even six months is probably about right. I think it's a it's a substantial ban. Um so you you're missing a lot of football. And look he's he's played he scored 20 goals this season in 33 games. So Having him miss, you potentially, if he goes at that same click again next season, which I'd say he'd struggle to do so, um, you see him score only 10 goals for Brentford when, you know, this is someone who they completely rely on. 10 goals for Brentford is probably not going to be enough to, you know, actually get them to where they need to be next season. They're probably going to yeah, have I to mean, sign a striker in the off-season because they're missing someone. So. Yeah. They're they're actually it, it actually has a big effect on them because they're gonna have to sign a first team striker who will then become a backup striker. So talk about someone like Vinicius. Um they'll have to bring someone like that in and cross their fingers that it works. And they got someone who's on their wage um on their wage list for the next 
three years maybe there'll be a transfer fee involved so it will actually hit the a little bit harder than just a little bit of a ban um and, and you know i'm just glad it's done uh there's it's just been hanging over the whole fulham brentford rivalry for for a long time the fact that mitro got a big ban this season while tony was still playing just felt incredibly unfair i'm at least glad now that tony won't be playing next season so we'll only see him play fulham once next season high possibility we don't see well not a high possibility but some possibility that we won't see tony play with fulham at all next season and um that, that'll definitely give us a leg up and look i, I just hope that it it really negatively affects Brentford. I know that sounds like a really bad thing for an opposition club's fan to say, but um, the fact of the matter is they have got away with absolute murder this season by having him play for the majority of the season when he should have been banned. It just, it, it stinks and teams are going down because of it as well. Well, that's the point one and number two, I've got no respect or sympathy for the Brentford management because they have benefited from this drawn-out, whole drawn-out saga. And whilst they were enjoying the benefit of being able to select him, they were winning games, putting other teams out out of the competition and having an unfair advantage. So... Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't give a damn what what the economic effects are for them. Um, they've mm. had an easy easy ride of it, really. Um, it's interesting on our live stream. Steve Reynolds is asking um, what the similar rules are for betting in the AFL over here in Australia. I've just had a quick search and look. I, I think it's pr- <coughs> excuse me. I think it's actually pretty similar to. Um, the FA rules in the fact that it's it's actually incredibly vague and it just says um, you're, you're not allowed to gamble effectively. The issue is in terms of the sanctions, the sanctions are that um, it should be dealt with in such a manner that the football body or relevant tribunal in their absolute discretion think fit. Uh, and so it just leaves it completely open. And that's a problem with the FA's betting rules as well is that they're they're so open to interpretation and there's no, if you bet on one match, you get a one-match ban. If you bet on two matches, you get a two-match ban. Tony has admitted to 232 charges, but how do you quantify what that should translate to in terms of a ban? Like there's there's no, there are yardsticks, but they're not exactly the same. But, but, his offence is so large, the, the quantum is so large that he's almost overwhelmed the system and they've thought, well, yeah, okay, well, you know, maybe five bets, five matches, but how can we ban this guy for 220? Ugh, let's just call it eight months, which is actually only six months. He's, he's sort of overwhelmed them because it's so, it's, so, it's so massive. Well, it's interesting that I'm looking on um, BBC's article, which is just getting constantly updated um, while further news is falling in, I guess. Um, And they mentioned Joey Barton, who was banned for 18 months, which got reduced to 13 on appeal. He admitted to 1,260 football-related bets over a 10-year period, uh, and he was given 18 months. So that actually says that 70 bets is a month ban? based on that calculation, which would actually only give Tony a three-month ban. Um, and so, like I, like I said, there's because the the rules are so vague and the punishment is so vague, they're having to just make it up on the spot and decide what's fair. And they actually need to set some things in stone a little bit more and say, if you bet on matches, um, if you bet on one match to ten matches, you get banned for three games. If you bet on 10 to 50 matches, you get banned for 10 games. If you bet on 50 to 100 matches, you get banned for, you know what I mean, like a bit more of a structure to it and actually say, you know, if you bet on anything, we can we can work out what kind of charge you're going to be getting and what kind of ban you're going to be getting. I just think this this season, there's been so many instances where the FA just needs to be looked into 
just their conduct, the way they handle things. It it just feels, I don't know, outdated maybe or uh, no. You know what it you know what it feels behind. like. You know what it feels like. It feels like they, they portray. No, well, if you like, uh, but it feels like they always try to portray that there's procedure, that there's system, and that there's a set of precedents and there's a, 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 a you know a mechanism by which these things are quantitatively worked out. But it's very clear that there's a huge amount of subjectivity to it because in the end, mm. um, it, it the the offences, pardon me, the offences in the extreme don't seem to equal the bans that are handed out and they, they get to yep. a point where it's particularly for really large offenses where um, the, the, the algorithm kind of goes out the window and a bunch mm. of wise men look at all of the factors and the inconveniences and make a judgment. So, you know, you, you may as well be hung for a sheep because actually if, if, if you push a player over or headbutt a player or whatever, relatively speaking, you're going to be worse off. But, I mean, the interesting thing you said there was um, it goes to a room of wise men, and I think the biggest issue is there are no wise men at the FA. Or at least that's the way it seems, because they can't seem to make any straight decisions. They appeal things that they shouldn't be appealing. They stick by things they shouldn't be sticking by, and they, they just seem a little bit all over the place, and you know, oh, it, the whole it does appealing like... thing is just is virtue signalling as well. You know, oh, you know, oh, we're very, very upset about that, and we'll we'll, we'll see about that. It's it's <clears throat> and and it's there's just pathetic, and there's just a, a, a massive bias to the big clubs, and you know, you hate to be the people saying it all the time, but but it's just true. We see it in decisions made constantly on the field, off the field. Everything is is leaning towards those bigger clubs to make sure that their life is as easy as possible. And, you know, I, I think Brentford fans would probably be pretty unhappy with eight months ban because they'd be looking at Joey Barton and saying, how come his ban was 18 months? We've picked up pretty much half of that and is only 10% worth of the actual charge. Like, And, and can you imagine? You, know, you could look at you it like that from a Brentford point of view how pathetic that really is trying to sit on, on around a table and and work out um a, a way to to have a lesser penalty for a guy who's only done 220 offenses as opposed to a of thousand of course yeah i mean what kind of what kind of, of world are we living in here it's madness well no but you know you 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 would feel I can understand why they may feel hard done by here, and uh, I definitely don't don't support any change to the man that he's got. But if you look at if you look at it and, and look for a yard pole, the the Joey Barton ban was a yard pole, and they've just completely ignored it in making this decision. I still think the decision they've made is probably fair. Um, I think Joey Barton probably should have got five years for what he did. Um, but you can you can understand why there may be some some people thinking that's not that that's too extreme a ban, and I think we've seen, um, you know, the FA be too extreme multiple times this season. When we look at Mitro's ban as well, and we've also seen them completely turn a blind eye. It's it's just so all over the place, Answer and there's a lack of consistency. And yeah, mm. is there anything that a footballer, official or otherwise? could do that sees them ridden out of town and basically banned from the game for life? I mean, Cantona kicked a fan. He still played. Um, I mean, no, no, I don't think there is. Not banned for life anyway. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're okay. very let, extreme let, let, and you started... Grievous bodily imagine, harm on a player. Oh no! Imagine if you murdered a referee. God forbid. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's way too late. <laughs> You're losing your I'm marbles. Just, uh, Talking about no, murdering I'm a referee. I'm just saying. 
it, no, but that would never happen. So obviously, you get put in jail because you murdered someone. But <laughs> I'm yeah. saying like, and you know, there's there's people who've gone to jail and their football careers have been ruined, and quite rightly as well. So yes, there are ways, but you're talking massive extremes here. I'm thinking, you know, someone does something like a really terrible foul on the field and could be put down as grievous bodily harm, for example. How long do you get for that? But I mean, it's it's happened in football. Players just get like a slightly extended ban. Um, it's it's more these off-field things. And yeah, as Black, White and Fred here says on the live stream, something like match fixing, for example. But even then, we saw players and managers who were involved in match fixing in Italy um, all continue to play football and and continue to <laughs> thrive, and it, it does happen. It's 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 a weird world, and unfortunately, there's not a huge amount no, that it's football not a, can do not a weird to be world. completely written off. It's it's dodgy. No, I say it's weird the fact that we just allow this to happen, and it, it does happen, and um, people don't get fairly punished for it because they're they're sportsmen and, and they're celebrities, so they get away with it. But look, what we'll do, we'll we'll finish up talking about Tony now because there'll be more information that comes out, I assume, um, fairly soon over the next couple of days. And the FA will obviously release a bit of a written statement as well with a bit more information. So um, I, I think it'll be something that we can potentially discuss uh, on our next podcast, maybe even the one after that when we preview the Man United game. And uh, we can definitely dig into it a little bit deeper and, and maybe put out for some more questions because uh, it's it's a really interesting conversation to have because it's not something that happens very often and it obviously happened to our rival club as well but um yeah we'll we'll, we'll definitely pick up on this again and, and have a bit more of an in-depth chat and i also just want to get sam involved because sam will just be sam i think he'd be really sad if we didn't talk about it again um i'd have to try and steer the podcast back on track because he'd want to talk about it non-stop next week um Look, Dad. Let's let's wrap it up there, though. And and look, I'm I'm just really looking forward to this game. It's our final home game of the season. It always has a good feel about it. It's a bit of a party atmosphere, even more so the feel good story of having Roy Hodgson back at the cottage. Um, I think it's just a really lovely way to round out the season. And um, what a great story it would be if uh, beating Roy Hodgson's team would uh, actually get us to that record points total. Uh, I think that would just be a really nice way to do it and a, a really good nod to to Roy Hodgson in the past and um, look at Marco in the future. So, Dad, thank you very much for joining me tonight. I know it's a late one. It's just past 1 a.m. here in Perth. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to wrapping this one up and getting into bed. Hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yep, good good chat. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, definitely. So look, until next time, come on you whites. <laughs>